Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this morning in the name of our great High Priest, Jesus Christ. Our call to worship today is the 110th Psalm, in which we hear of our Father swearing forever that the Son, Jesus Christ, is a priest forever. We're going to talk about that this morning. Hear now God's Word as we are called to worship Him. The Psalm of David, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, forever, after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over, he will shatter chiefs over the, the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for calling us to worship You. None of us, not a one, would ever come to worship You were it not for Your love for us long before we loved You. You have chosen us to be Your people. You have called us out of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of Your dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood. We have forgiveness of sins. Oh, Father, we thank You for making us not only to be Your servants, not only to be Your friends, but You have called us to be Your children. And so we are. And so we come today reverently, but we come confidently as children come to a Father to acknowledge our love for You, to acknowledge and rejoice in Your love for us, and to celebrate the finished work of Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. May you be pleased with our worship today, for you are our rock and our redeemer. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing just for one more moment as I read my brief text for today's sermon. It comes from the book of Hebrews, this time chapter 4, 
verses 14 through 16. Hear God's word. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, these truths from your word are so profound and so critical for us to understand. May we not, Lord, get... Um, be blinded. I pray that you would remove the scales from our eyes. Open our ears, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Now speak through my imperfect tongue. Use my imperfect mind, Lord, to communicate these perfect and sovereign and eternal truths from your word. Oh, Father, how I want us to understand the things that you have given us here revealed in the pages of your Holy Scripture. And I pray that you would do this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you that weren't here a few weeks ago, or if you don't remember, um, we talked about the first three chapters of the book of Hebrews. And I, I talked about the person of Christ. I was arguing that Jesus Christ is the only one who is qualified, the only one who is able to be our Savior. The, the author of the book of Hebrews starts out with a whole chapter talking about angels and how glorious angels is. But he says, but Christ is far above the angels. In fact, the scripture says the angels are excellent, but let all God's angels worship him. The angels are not, as some were teaching back in that first century, the angels are not on the same level as Christ. They are creatures, and their job is to worship the King, to worship Jesus. Amen? The author of Hebrews talked about Moses, the person that all the people of God look to, their leader, Moses. But he says Moses, he was a servant in the house of God. Jesus, he was the son. He was the son in the house of God. Great as Moses was, he's nothing compared to Jesus. You remember this? We talked about how Jesus was the man. We all want, right guys? We all want to be the man. When there's a job to do, we should raise our hand and go, send me. Right? Send me. I'm the man. I can get it done. But over and over in Scripture, you see people that were sent to do things and they fail. And we go, yeah, those guys sure were inept. We are too. Any of us would fall. You ever think about Adam? How Adam... We're taught the doctrine that when Adam, I teach my children the little uh, New England primer, uh, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. That seems so unfair. And we go, well, I wasn't in Adam. Yes, you were. And you go, well, who picked Adam to be the guy to represent us? So can anyone answer that question? Who picked Adam to represent us? God did. We are Adam, right? We would have done the exact same thing that he did. So Christ was able. He was greater than the angels. He was greater than Moses. He was the one and only one. He was the man, the God-man, the God incarnate, man divine that came as our Savior. 
So, that's the first part of the book of Hebrews. When my children want to come to me and ask me for something, I get this many times. I'm sitting in my office at home. There's a knock at the door, and some little cherub-looking person comes in and goes, Daddy, I don't want this, but he wanted to know if we could chew gum today. You ever get this at your house? Daddy, you know, he, he wanted to know if we could watch a movie. And I go, oh, really? He did? So why, why are they sending someone else? Because the person that sent them, they don't want to hear the word no, right? They don't want to face the great and terrible dad who's going to strike down their great idea and see through their scheme. So they send a go-between, right? They send a, what the Bible calls a mediator. Noah Webster, our good brother in Christ that lived a few hundred years ago, defines the word mediator as one that interposes between parties at variance. What does that mean when parties are at variance? They're not seeing eye to eye, right? There's some disconnect, there's some separation between two parties. And so the mediator is someone who interposes between these two parties at variance for the purpose, Webster says, of reconciling them. That's what a mediator does. Listen again to what you heard in Leviticus Uh, chapter 20. I'm just going to read two verses of this. After they heard the Ten Commandments, as as God was giving them to Moses, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, I'm guessing it was different than the thunder and flashes of lightning that we see. Is that a fair assumption to read into this scripture? And the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. They were so terrified, they were trembling. They did not want God to speak directly to them. What they're saying to Moses is, Be our go-between. Stay between us and that God. He is so holy. We are so in awe of Him. We're terrified of him. Now you might hear that and say, I don't need a mediator like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't need that. I'm not so afraid of God that I tremble before him. We don't understand our need for a priest because we don't understand how holy God is and how not holy we are, how sinful we are. That's our problem. It's the problem of every, every person that's ever been created. The uh, 23rd question in the Shorter Catechism says, what offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? Anybody know the three offices of Christ? Christ as our Redeemer executes the offices of a prophet, a priest, and a king, both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. Prophet, priest, and king. So we understand prophet, right? Christ reveals to us God's will for our salvation. He is the Word of God. He is the prophet with a capital P. We understand that one pretty well. We understand King. We want him to rule over us and defend us and protect us. But I don't think we understand priest. The 25th question says, how does Christ execute his, the office of a priest? And the answer is, Christ executes the office of a priest, listen carefully now, in his once, once, And his once offering up of himself a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God. 
This is what Christ does as our priest. One sacrifice, he did it once to reconcile us to God. That's what a mediator does. And in making continual intercession for us. So he was a priest in what he did on the cross. And he is still our priest. He is making intercession for us right now. How about that for some good news? So this morning I want to look at two things. Why we need a priest. Looking at our sin and looking at the holiness of God. And then I want to talk briefly about what Christ actually did as our, as our high priest. And then we'll go to the book of Hebrews for that. Our sinfulness is pretty evident if you look in the Bible. Remember in the days of Noah, the wickedness was so great that, what? God repented that he had ever made anyone. And you know the story. He wiped out everyone. Everyone, every living person on the planet, with the exception of Noah and his wife, and Noah's three sons and their wives. Eight people spared. Everyone else, God said, I've had it. How about... Um, the golden calf. God is speaking to them on, to Moses on the mountain, and, and here's here's Aaron, of all people, the high priest Aaron, and they're making a golden calf to worship. Think more modern. We think of Hitler and these horrible people that have done these atrocities, and we go, yeah, those people are really wicked. You and I are exactly the same as they are. Apart from Christ, we would go and do the exact same things. But we don't realize that because, for one thing, if we are redeemed, if we are of Christ's people, that, that is foreign to us now to some degree. We have the love of Christ. We are redeemed. We have a Redeemer. It's hard even to imagine sometimes what we would be like apart from Christ. But if you want to know, that's what we'd be like. That's how sinful we really are. So I think we're Reformed people. We understand the depravity of man. Mark's preached to us so many times about this. I think we probably get this. What we may not get is, what we may not get as clearly as we should, is how holy is God? We tend to go, God's holy. Yeah, I mean, he's holy. We're not here. We're, we're way down here. No, my friends, we're not. We're so, the word holy means what? Set apart, distinct. We are so far apart from God. And his holiness. And I want, to, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 6 and spend a few minutes in this passage that you're probably familiar with. And have it hopefully shed light to us on how holy God is. And after that, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about what Christ did to bridge the gap. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This Lord is not the uppercase L, uppercase O, uppercase R, uppercase D. This is the, in your Bible, it'll be capital L and then lowercase O-R-D. This is a title. This is the one who is absolutely sovereign. This is in the Greek, the Kyrios. The word that's translated Lord in the New Testament. It's the Adonai. This is a brief aside, but remember the passage in Philippians? We memorized this a while back. Philippians chapter 2. Let me read this, and I want to ask you a question. It says, Wherefore God has also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. What name is that? We all say Jesus, right? That's not what Paul's saying here. 
He's saying he's given him the name Lord. He's given him that title. He is Adonai. He is the one to be worshipped. And then he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Adonai, that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the title that's used here in Isaiah. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. His train filled the temple. In the old days, the kings would be measured, their greatness would be measured by their, their apparel, their garments. Right? This is why in the Old Testament you had these unbelievable descriptions of the priestly garments. It mattered what they wore. It mattered how long their gown was. If there's ever a wedding in the near future, we, we might all be looking for this robe, right? This glorious, the bride in her glorious robe. And everyone's going to say, wow, look at that, look at that gown. That's unbelievable. It's so beautiful. So what Isaiah saw was a robe that filled the temple. You see the picture? It's not like, wow, what a great robe. It fills the temple. Don't miss the imagery of it. And above him stood the seraphim. These are angels, angelic creatures. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. Notice that God, when God creates creatures, he gives them an anatomy suited to their habitat, right? He makes us so we can live on the earth walk around, do things. He makes birds differently, right? How does he make birds? Really lightweight, hardly any bones, you know, really small wings, you know, so they can be in their habitat. He made these angels because he knew these angels were going to be in the presence of God, so he gave them six wings, and the first two were for what purpose? To cover their eyes because he knew they would be in the presence of God at his throne, beholding a holy God, so awe-inspiring, so holy, that the angels themselves could not bear to look upon him. Do we think about God that way? Is that how holy are we like, hey God, it's me. You know, it's okay to come confidently. He's our Father. But we should come reverently thinking, this is a holy God that the angels cannot even bear to look at. He gives them two other, so they have six wings. The other two, two are to fly, two are to cover their feet. What's that about? They're covering their feet because the feet are an image of our creatureliness. And it's a reminder, when you come to God, you're not like God. You're grounded on the earth. You're of dust. You're a creature. Remember when Moses had the theophany? He heard God speaking to him from the burning bush. And as he approached, what did God say? Stop. Take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. You're approaching the holy God. Moses on the mountain said, Oh God, can I see your face? And God said, No. You see my face, you're going to die. You couldn't handle it. I'll pass by and you can see me as I move this way. Do we think about God being so holy that we should take off our shoes in his presence? That we should shield our eyes if we were to ever behold him? One called to another and said, these are the, the seraphim calling to one another, saying, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is the name. This is not the title. This is the name of God. 
Holy is God, the Lord of hosts, the, the commander of the armies of God. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This word glory means weightiness. Only one place, I think this is the only place in the Bible where an attribute of God is mentioned three times like this. When, when Jesus would speak, remember He'd say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly. The word He's saying is, Amen, Amen. What I'm telling you is true. Believe it. Listen up. He'd say it twice for emphasis. Here, the seraphim would say this three times. And they didn't say, love, love, love. Although God is love. They didn't say, sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. What they're uttering in ceaseless songs is holy, holy, holy. He is so different. He is so set apart. He is so magnificent. He is all-powerful. The Lord God omnipotent. Verse 4, And the foundations, this is Isaiah's vision still, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. Now, sometimes we say this to be silly, right? Something bad. We stub our toe and we go, oh, woe is me. I stub my toe, you know. That's not what Isaiah is saying. If you go back and remember what Jesus said when he talked to the chief priests and the scribes, he said, woe unto you. He's bringing a curse on them. Not blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. It's not a blessing. It's the opposite. This word woe unto me is saying curses upon me. When Isaiah sees this, this is Isaiah. This is the man called of God, the prophet of God, to bring, he's, he's the holy man that God called and anointed to bring his word. But Isaiah, he's like us. When he hears, when he sees this vision, all he can say is, I am cursed. The curse of God is upon me. Because he realizes how holy is, he gets a glimpse as to how holy he, God is and how not holy Isaiah is. So he says, woe is me, I am lost. One translation says, I'm ruined. I am undone. I love that, that translation. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of, unclean, of a people of unclean lips. For my, and then he concludes with this. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh, I wish we could see God like Isaiah saw on that day. That we would say, oh, I'm a person of unclean lips. I am undone in the presence of the Holy God. Now this doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean God isn't good to us. It doesn't mean He isn't merciful to us. But He is holy in a way that we really don't understand. The point wasn't to torture Isaiah. The point was to cleanse Isaiah. You remember what happens? The angel brings... Well, here, I'll read this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt... Isaiah knew he was guilty. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. 
Shouldn't that be our response? If we really understand God, we should say, oh, man. That's why I don't get when people read the Bible and all they get out of it is, you know, God loves me because, man, he's really pleased with me. I don't know what translation of the Bible you're reading if that's how you, what you come away with. What you ought to come away with is, man, are people messed up. This God is so holy and we continue to sin over and over and over again and never get it right. No wonder we needed a Redeemer. So the point wasn't to torture Isaiah, it was to cleanse him. His sins were atoned for, his guilt was no more. The people of the Old Testament continued to sin over and over and over. So God was gracious and he institutes this system that to us is weird, right? When you go back and read the Bible, any of you doing like a read through the Bible right now, ever tried it? Genesis, neat. The beginnings, the first of everything. Exodus, okay, he brings them out. And then you get to Leviticus. And this is where 80% of the people get stuck. And they go, what is up with that Leviticus thing? Offerings and sacrifices. God instituted this to show us there is a sin problem that needs to be dealt with. And all this stuff about killing animals, taking your sin and grabbing the horns of the animal and putting, killing them and putting their blood and sending them out. And you go, what in the world is that about? It's very simple. God's trying to show us God is holy and we are not. Something has to reconnect or reconcile us. So the whole central message of the book of Hebrews is that Christ was that perfect sacrifice. The, the, the Levitical priestly system that was in place was a shadow, was a picture of our need for him, but it didn't solve the problem. That's why, as I think Jeff read, they had to keep doing it over and over. In Hebrews 7, we needed a priest that would be a priest forever, not like these ones that kept dying to be replaced by another one. The book of Hebrews is a contrast between the old covenant and the new, better covenant. It's all one covenant, but it's different administrations of this covenant. And the Bible says the old one is so different from the new one that it's, it's like obsolete, it's fading away. We don't understand because we live in, in these last days, as the author of Hebrews says, Ever since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, we're in the last days. We've always lived in Christendom. All of us in the room here, we have no idea how dark it was in the times of the Old Covenant. They saw things through shadows. They, they had the law, but it didn't make sense. They had these prophecies, but it, didn't, it wasn't clear to them. So the two covenants are very, very different. So once we see our sin and once we see God's holiness, let's take a brief look at chapters 4 through 10 of Hebrews. I'm going to go really quickly through this, okay? But just to touch on what Christ did as our high priest. Do you all agree we have a need? Do you see a little bit maybe more clearly the holiness of God? Hebrews says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let's hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then here's the therefore. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. We can do that now because we have a high priest. Let us draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Anybody need mercy? And we may find grace to help in time of need. Jesus passed through the heavens, just like the Old Testament priests had to pass through the outer court. And then they went into the holy place. And then once a year, they went where? 
the Holy of Holies. They had to pass through to get to the Holy of Holies to make atonement. Christ passed through the heavens, down through the atmosphere, down to earth, and became a man of dust. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He was tempted as we are. But he didn't sin. So this allows us to draw near the throne of grace with confidence. Remember Esther? Um, Esther wanted to go. Her people were going to be... There was, a, there was a plot to murder all the Jews. And so what did Mordecai tell her to do? Go into the king and beg for mercy. And she said, I can't go in there. If I approach the king, if I approach the throne and he hasn't called for me, he's, I'm going to get killed. You can't do that. Remember that? We don't have to worry about that anymore. That's how it would be. We'd be like those Israelites. Oh, Moses, let him talk to you, not us. We don't have to do that anymore. We have a great high priest who has passed down through the heavens that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. The Levitical priests were called by God. So too was Christ. You heard it earlier in Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn... This is an oath. The Father makes an oath. He will not change his mind. The Son is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what does that mean? Let's talk just a few minutes about Melchizedek. As far as I know, I, uh, I, I looked this up. He's only mentioned three times in the Bible. Here in Hebrews and then in Genesis 14, um, where Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek after Abraham fought this battle. And then in Psalm 10, what I just read. Melchizedek's order was a different kind of priesthood. The Levitical priests were descendants of Levi. You talk about the order of Aaron. So you couldn't be a priest. You couldn't just sign up and go, hey, I'm in a different tribe, but I really want to serve God. You had to be in the tribe of Levi. But Melchizedek, his priesthood was different. The Levitical priests would serve a certain term. They would die. The next priest would come in. This Melchizedek, who I don't think was the pre-incarnate Christ, I don't think he was Shem, I think he was a godly king in the midst of a wicked people. And I think the Bible is trying to teach us, you know, this is not perfectly clear, but I think the Bible is trying to teach us that he was without father or mother and all that. He didn't have a genealogy. It just means he, he was a shadow of Christ, the priest that would come, that would have an, an unending priesthood, who wouldn't have a beginning or end to his priesthood. His role was not genealogically derived, in other words. That's what it means without father or mother. Hebrews 8, verse 6 says, As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, excuse me, that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. You see what the author is telling us here? Christ isn't like these other priests. He's like them in a way, but much, much better. He did it once. He made the sacrifice once and it's done. Why is it better? The author says, God's word says, it is enacted on better promises. The new covenant is enacted on better promises. How's the new covenant better? Let me go quickly to, um, he quotes here from Jeremiah. For this is the covenant, Jeremiah says, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. So he's, prophesying about the new covenant. I will put my laws onto tables of stone. No, I will put their laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. 
That doesn't just mean I'm going to be God. I will be their God. I will be their Savior. And they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, Jeremiah prophesies. And I will remember their sins no more. And then the next verse, he kind of summarizes that, summarizes that saying, in speaking of a new covenant, Jeremiah just said, God's going to enact a new covenant. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. Anybody have an alarm clock to get you up in the morning? With the new technology, I finally learned how to use my phone as an alarm clock, not just with a beep, but now you can set songs to be your alarm. You ever, anybody do that? My alarm right now is, uh, I used to have Steve Green singing, Be at Rest, but it was too mellow. I felt like going back to sleep and hitting the snooze. So I changed it to Andrew Peterson's song, All Things New. And here's what I hear when I first wake up. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to sing it, but... <laughs> Praise God. He sings, the first words I hear every morning are, rise up, O you sleeper. But then he says this, come broken and weary, come battered and bruised. My Jesus makes all things new. What a great way to wake up. Come battered and bruised. My Jesus makes all things new. So when we come to the Lord's table, when you come in a few minutes, I'm going to remind you of those words of Jesus. I try to do it every week as I hand out the wine. Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. He's saying it's all changing now. This was the, the advent of the New Covenant. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. It's shed for you for the remission of your sins. The Old Covenant is passing away. So in conclusion, God is holy. We are not. This should make us tremble unless we had a mediator. We need a go-between. And that go-between, that mediator, is Jesus. He is the great high priest who made the perfect sacrifice once. And the sacrifice was not a bull or a goat or a lamb. The sacrifice was his own body and blood so that we could receive mercy and we could find grace in time of need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kindness to us. Your word tells us that your mercies are new to us every morning, that your faithfulness to us is great. We do not comprehend this as we should. I pray that you would help us. We believe, but we need help in our unbelief still. Please help us to see you as you are. Not that we would tremble and crumble, but that we would rejoice that we are unable to look upon you in the state we're in now, but we look forward to the day, Lord, as citizens of heaven, when our frail, sinful bodies will be fashioned like unto your glorious body, the glorious body of Jesus Christ, the risen Christ. Oh, how we look forward to the day when we will not see you through a glass darkly, but we will see you face to face. And we know that we will because of the finished work of our great high priest, your son, our risen and reigning king, Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat>
Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.